0: Today on the podcast, we have Bob Stern. Bob is a retired corporate counsel, having spent been, been about 30 years as a lawyer. And I met Bob, actually, I connected with his wife first through Four Block, and then I connected through Bob through Candorful. And we're gonna talk about Candorful and we're gonna talk about Bob's perspective of what he sees in JAG. So Bob, welcome to the podcast.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot, Tom.
0: I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about Candorful it is something that I didn't know about until somebody mentioned it on my podcast. Bob,
1: if you could kind of give us an overview of your um, professional career. Sure. We'll start with that. So I went to law school at the Washington College of Law, which is a part of American University in Washington, D.C., and I stayed in the Washington, suburban Maryland area ever since till I retired. I started out right out of law school at Skadden Arps. This was in 1983, quite a while ago. Skadden had a small but growing DC firm then. And I was doing it, I trust, which I loved. And one of the reasons I wanted to work there. But I did not enjoy my experience there. I did not enjoy the oppressive kind of push to bill so many hours a week. And when I looked around, I saw junior partners who had just made partner Working harder than anybody, I thought, gee, I've got 12, 13 years of this grind in front of me. I think I'd rather find something that I enjoy more. So I looked around and I found a job in-house at Marriott. Their headquarters was up the street in Bethesda, Maryland, and it was a great place to work. I started working at Marriott in 1985, and one of the reasons they hired me was that I did not have real estate experience. And they they had hired a a bunch of lawyers to do real estate from firms where they had done real estate the way that firm does real estate. They wanted to teach somebody who did not have to unlearn somebody else's approach. So I was hired for my lack of experience. One of the things I loved about Marriott and loved about the the subsequent in-house work I've done is the ability to do a lot of different things. So I did franchising, I did real estate, I did mergers and acquisitions. A lot of operational things. I was at Marriott from 1985 to 1998. At which point, a very large division of Marriott that does institutional food service—colleges, hospitals, corporate headquarters—that kind of thing—was spun off and became a subsidiary of Sedexo. Sedexo is a giant global food and facilities management company based in Paris. When they spun off and joined Sedexo in the U.S., I became general counsel of what was then in essence, a very new $10 billion business. So I was in a unique position. I could build a whole law department, mostly bringing colleagues from Marriott with me to start uh, this new business for Sodexo in the US, which was largely the, the legacy Marriott business. So I was was general counsel of Sodexo from 1998 till 2015 when I became the first really within Sodexo, first global general counsel based at the corporate headquarters in Paris. Uh, It's a publicly traded company, part of the CAC 40, which is kind of the French equivalent to the Dow Jones average. So a significant French company operating in 75 countries at the time. Uh, And I managed a global legal department. And you know, we talk about this a little bit later, but I'll just mention one of the things I loved about having this long in-house career was in addition to a lot of really challenging, interesting legal work, I was able to do a lot of other things. I have been on the board of their foundation for over 20 years, I'm still on that board. I used to be in charge of managing the foundation as the corporate executive. I've done a lot of government affairs, ethics, privacy, compliance, all those functions were started uh, when I was general counsel. So I really just enjoyed the flexibility and the diversity of the work.
0: So Bob, as you are talking about, you love the antitrust and that's what you wanted to go in. We come into the military and we do what we're told, whether it's legal assistance or general practitioner type work, or we go off, and become a defense counsel or a prosecutor. We just do it because we see it as part of what we're joining, we, though we really didn't think in law school about this is what I want to do in the service. And just FYI, I actually got commissioned before a few good men came out. So that is not my reason. for joining. <laughs> but how did you come upon antitrust coming out of law school?
1: I took a, an antitrust course in law school and loved it. It was very business focused. I liked the conceptual ideas about monopolization and price fixing and it just was the thing that I could relate to most. I'm mean, growing up in a family small business, and just you know working with my dad in our small business. I, I just liked those business issues. And when I went in house to Marriott, working for a corporation, one of the joys is you get to work with one client. You learn the business. At a law firm, you might have, you know, 15 different clients in a year and get a little bit of exposure to 15 different kinds of businesses. And that's great. And it's interesting. But if you want to go really deep into understanding business, being an in-house corporate lawyer is the way to go. And I just really enjoyed that. What I find and what I've, I've enjoyed doing with lawyers that I've managed over the years, I find that moving from one area of expertise to another in legal is really not that hard. It is not brain surgery. And I have a lot of confidence when somebody's done a good job in one area and they express a desire to learn some other area, I feel like I'm going to give them a shot. It's not that hard. They'll figure it out. And I think that's a lesson for a lot of people coming out of JAG. There are a lot of in-house positions that are specialist positions, particularly around employment law, for example, or general litigation. But a lot of corporate jobs, especially if you're not at one of the biggest, biggest companies in the country, you need to be flexible and you need to have the ability to learn new areas of the law. And that's something I've enjoyed being able to promote people in our department because they had done a good job in one area, but a an opening came up in a different area, but I felt they had the skills to learn it. And almost every single time I could think of that's worked out pretty well.
0: Take us through a day uh, or just give us an example of what a day would be like in the corporate setting. And I know that you had it for 30 years. We have this image of people coming in and sitting in the office and I don't wanna say punching the clock cause I know that could be long hours but you're, you know, processing whatever the work that comes in. I assume you're attending meetings. So what does working in a corporate setting really look like?
1: Yeah, and, and you know, I'll I'll give you two sort of answers. One, this is more towards the end of my career when I was a general counsel and as part of that, you're part of an executive team and being part of an executive team outside the law department is just as important as your job managing the law department. So I used to tell the lawyers in my department that my job was to go to meetings so they could actually get some work done. When I think back to younger stages in my career or newer to in-house, you're going to have a mix of things. You're going to have a number of projects, it might be a long-term contract, a complex government contract negotiating, it might be a real estate deal, it could be mergers, it could be you know negotiation of a, an IT license you're going to have a number of projects like that that might take you know anywhere from a month to a year, and you're going to be working on those. You're going to have a lot of collaboration, a lot of work with different departments, finance, HR, IT, operations. You're going to have a lot of coordination, and doing that well is what makes you know an attorney successful. You're going to have a lot of unexpected mini crises, emergencies. Hey, this just came up. I need an answer. How do I do this? You're going to get tons of interruptions and you got to be able to multitask. What I used to drive and just promote in my department was you had to be accessible, responsive, and solve problems. So accessible means you can't turn your email off for two days. you got to be, people got to reach you when they need to reach you responsive means you got to be quick there's a premium on speed you got to have good customer service if you can't get to that answer for two days because of some other project you're working on that's fine but you call that client back immediately and you tell them that i can get to you in two days that's part of being responsive and then finally you've got to be practical you got to be a problem solver you got to be helpful You'd want people to want to come to you. The worst thing in the world for an in-house lawyer is to be the person that the business does not want to have to go to because they're afraid you're going to stymie them. That's That's, the death of an in-house lawyer. You want to be the person that they can't wait to get into that meeting, even if it's not primarily a legal issue. They just want you there because they know you're going to bring some creativity and problem solving to to the table. And when this
0: gets broadcast about a month, there's going to be a lot of people in uniform that listen to this and saying, huh, that's what I
1: do now. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad you said that. That's my impression, too, because and we'll get to Candorful later. But through my volunteering with Candorful, I've interviewed a number of JAG lawyers, which has been terrific. And a number of them say exactly what you just said, that that is what they do. They have to be responsive and helpful to the commanding officer, to whoever the client is. And that's exactly right. That's a directly relatable kind of skill set that you need in the corporate job. It's a really important point. So
0: we'll circle back to JAGS, but Candorful, tell us about it. What is it? How did it start? Why does it exist?
1: So Candorful is a great little nonprofit. I say little, it's growing really fast. You mentioned my wife works for Four Block, which is a great transition program for military and military spouses transitioning into corporate jobs. So my wife got me involved in Candorful. She thought I'd be good at it and interested in it, and I love it. So what Candorful is, it's a program that provides three free practice interviews to transitioning service members and military spouses. They have about 120 or so volunteer interviewers. These are largely uh, folks from large corporations, a lot of folks from the big consulting firms like PwC, Deloitte, Booz Allen, a lot of folks from Amazon, Microsoft. There's folks from the defense industry, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, and there's folks from all kinds of industries all over the country. These are generally more experienced people who provide interview feedback and coaching. What they do is provide like a 30 minute behavioral interview. Behavioral interviews are really the kind of interviews you have in large corporations now. These are the kinds of questions that typically start. Tell me about a time when, tell me about a time when you you had to deal with a very difficult person, how'd you do that? Tell me about a time when you failed at something. What do you learn from that experience? These kinds of questions. They're not technical, hard skill questions. About say you know cybersecurity or being an employment lawyer, they're what I would call more emotional intelligence interpersonal skill tests. These are really important because that's what a lot of corporate interviews are are about. And then after each interview, you get some immediate feedback and some written feedback. And really, I think most people find that after three interviews, their confidence level really goes up. Interviewing is, is one of these things you can't just kind of read about and become a better interviewer. It takes practice. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to because I do a lot of intakes where I tell them about uh, what to expect in, in, in the pro- in the program. And I can't tell you how many people have told me, hey, the last time I interviewed was 20 years ago. I was 17 and it was for a job at McDonald's. And the only question was, do you have transportation? <laughs> So we, if that's your experience and you're coming out 20 years later and you're a lawyer with a lot of experience and you're going into a interview process, say with, with Boeing, you have to be prepared for these behavioral interview questions. And so that's exactly what Candleful does. It does a great job. In 2021, it's the last year I have stats for they've provided services to well over a thousand people. They have very high a net promoter scores that's asking people if they would recommend you to somebody else. They're at a 9.9, which is off the charts high and they get very good kind of reviews. One other thing that they test for in these practice interviews is the concept of an elevator pitch. And so the first question in each practice interview is gonna be an open-ended question like, tell me about yourself. It's really important that you practice answers to those kinds of questions And that you do it in a job interview kind of context or setting. And so there's a lot of advice and recommendations that the interviewers provide and make the the interviewees feel a lot more comfortable and prepared. I think most people I've talked to after their third practice interview where they have seen their own improvement Over the course of three interviews, they feel pretty confident.
0: Now, Candorful, is that just for military or do you guys target other people as well?
1: It is. Right now, it is exclusively military and military spouses. They've talked about expanding at some point for a broader audience. But right now, it is just laser focused on the uh, military transition kind of uh, period. And Bob,
0: I know the answer to this, but this is going to be a question people have. How much does it cost and how you get there?
1: Shame on me for not even mentioning that it's free. (laughs) So it's three free interviews. Go to candleful.org, the website, and you'll see that you can sign up. The first step is you'll have an intake. There's a number of us that do these 30 minute intakes where they just explain what to expect, how to be prepared for these interviews, and then they explain how you'll be scheduling three practice interviews. Even if you've had three, and you feel like you've won a fourth or a fifth, you're not quite there yet. You can certainly email Canderful, ask for a fourth or a fifth interview. They will usually make that available, no problem. But they will remind you that Canderful is a nonprofit, and they may ask for a purely voluntary donation for any interview above the three that are included at the
0: cost. So, Bob, we connected through Candorful, but in talking to other guests, which we were talking before here, Thomas Ibel, who I had about three weeks ago, who just got a job with T-Mobile and Chad Jesperson, Jesperson, I always mess it up. They went through Candorful, they talked to you. You ended up sort of becoming a mentor to those and some other Jags. And I don't know if you look at yourself like that, but I know Candorful has both attorneys and non-attorneys. And from our perspective, we search out attorneys. And so we happened upon you. And from my perspective, you've come kind of mentor. We had a talk offline. So let's talk about your perspective of what you think JAGs can do or prepare to do. We hit it on a little bit, but these people have landed on their feet. So what do you see as the biggest challenge of getting
1: from uniform to boardroom, if you will? Yeah, it's a a really great, important and complex question. (laughs) It's really, you know, personally, I do a lot of intakes and interviews of non-attorneys, but because there aren't that many JAG officers that transition in any one year and come to Candorful, but I love that many of them that do pick me, there's only a couple, maybe two or three lawyers within the the group at Candorful that do these interviews. And I, just as a personal thing, I'm always telling lawyers, hey, outside of the candorful interview feedback program, let's talk. I'm happy to just brainstorm with you about ways to get in-house jobs, what to expect, different types of in-house jobs. And so I'm always offering that. You mentioned I'm retired. I have a lot of other things I'm doing in retirement, but this is really something that provides me a lot of personal satisfaction. So the real question you're asking is a real tough one. How do you move? It depends and every case is different. You might, for example, have a specialization that is in demand. Maybe it's cybersecurity, maybe it's government contracts or privacy. They provide a more kind of logical approach to saying, okay, you're gonna stay within that lane. You wanna work in that area. A lot of people might have a very general, maybe criminal defense or something in, in JAG. And that's not something they're going to find in a corporation. So they need to need to be more nimble and flexible. Candleful doesn't focus on things like the resume and, and what kind of job to get. It's really focused on the interview preparation. But obviously, working on your resumes, having tailored resumes for each kind of different job is really important. There's a couple sites I would point people to. There's a website called goinhouse.com that has a listing of a lot of in house sites. I've been involved in my career a lot with ACC, the Association of Corporate Counsel. There are ways that you can try to get invited into a luncheon or participate in any way you can to try to network with other corporate counsel. And LinkedIn is a terrific way to, if you're interested, in, for example, in a particular company, maybe you don't know anybody there you do some searching on LinkedIn, you look for attorneys, either you find someone who's a veteran or somebody that you might have some other connection with, reach out. And what I always say is one of the best ways to reach out and ask for an informational interview is to take the approach of, hey, you you reach out through LinkedIn and you say, I see you have this position. That's the kind of position I aspire to. I'd really love to learn how you got to your position. Most people have an ego when they get a request that says i want to hear how you became so great and got that wonderful job that i wish i had the response is almost always oh sure i'd be delighted to share my success story with you (laughs) so there's a very high success rate when you ask for you know 15 minutes of a phone call like that but that's a great way to learn a little bit about that job And what that person really does and make a contact at a company with somebody who might be in a position to put a good good word in for you. I think a lot of the Jags have really terrific instincts on how to go about this. Pretty sophisticated. They understand the value of working on a network, reaching out to people that they know or people that they don't know, but they're at a, a company they're interested in. And figuring out, you know, how to narrow down that search—that's really often very, very difficult.
0: So I know of, now of three people that you've worked with; those three have all, like we said, landed successfully, and they all went through Candorful. And I'm assuming you saw growth in their interview skills. So what I'm hearing is it really doesn't matter what field you're going into; interviewing's interviewing. They can look at your resume. This is the feel of hey, is this person can he he or she walk, talk, chew gum? carry on a conversation, make sense when they carry on that conversation, in addition to all the qualifications that
1: they're seeking? Yeah, I mean, I, I have hired a, a lot of attorneys in, in my career, a lot. And very often, let's say I'm hiring a, an employment lawyer, maybe I get them to two or even three. And you look at their experience and, and their expertise, and they're kind of comparable. It's really hard to to choose one over the other based on just their experience or their expertise. And often what makes or breaks the decision is, how do I think that person's gonna be as a team member? Because I'm hiring somebody onto my team. I want them to make that team stronger. I want them to care about making everybody else stronger. I want them to represent the department well and share our values, ethics, responsiveness, customer service, all those things. Those are the kind of intangibles that people are trying to sort of assess in these behavioral interviews. And so these behavioral interviews are are really important to give a sense of who you are and how you're going to be. Corporations now, you know, maybe it's taken too long to get to this point, but they're at a point where most corporations are going to be really focused on diversity, really want to make sure that anybody they hire is going to have the right sensitivities and is going to look at their job as wanting to help make everybody else better and bring people along and raise people up. And a lot of these intangibles end up being the tiebreaker when people are kind of at comparable expertise levels. And those are the things that come out in these behavioral interviews.
0: You know, a lot of us, we self-limit when we look at these job announcements because, well, I don't have business or I don't have real estate. But I'm hearing that there's collaboration and training available when you get there. Like you said, when you went there, they wanted to be able to train you in how to do real estate and their methods and protocols. And so I guess we shouldn't be as concerned that maybe we don't fit a square peg in a square hole necessarily. We might be rounded a little bit, but we can get to that squared aspect.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are some realities here to that we all are kind of aware of. One, it's often hard to go from being a JAG officer to a law firm. You're not as likely to be bringing a portable book of business that a more senior lawyer is expected to bring. In-house companies, in-house departments tend to hire a lot of junior people three, four, five years at a law firm where the law firm has put more into their investment in education, but now the person that is looking to leave that law firm and move in-house, that's where a lot of hiring does happen. Uh, It's at the lower end of the pay scale and it allows corporate general counsel to help move their in-house team up and be promoted by bringing people in at lower levels. So I realize there's a lot of realities out there that, that can be a challenge. It helps to have an area of expertise, particularly if you're looking at a larger firm. You know, I I know a number of JAG officers come out with a a fair amount of experience in things like investigations and ethics. Well, those are things that are really delicate and sensitive if you're investigating, you know, a mid-level or senior-level executive. So you want somebody with a lot of experience. You don't want a third-year lawyer doing a sensitive investigation. So there's areas where experience is going to be a real plus. There's areas where the expertise is going to be a real plus. If That's they're, they're looking to fill that expertise. What I find is if you're more of a generalist, you're more likely to find a fit in a smaller company that has a smaller law department that needs people to be generalists. Or maybe you find a large company and the way they're organized is By manufacturing facility. And so here's a facility in this state that has 5,000 people, and we want to have one lawyer there. Well, that lawyer may have more autonomy and be more of a generalist, even though they're in a giant company. So you have to kind of look harder, I think, especially when you're more experienced 15, 20 years experience. Those jobs are going to take a little bit more time to find and not be as plentiful as, say, a fourth year. Employment lawyer or a fourth year general litigation lawyer, where they're going to get tons of competition from people leaving law firms. Yeah,
0: someone was talking about how you know we should look at these job applications. Oftentimes, they are written for the law student or, excuse me, the the associate who is looking to leave a firm because it looks attractive, vice the grind that they're doing. When you and this, I know you just speak from your experience, but what is sort of the work life balance like? working for a large corporation like you did at Marriott.
1: Yeah. So it's it's not the nine to five job that it was 40 years ago. The the difference between the hours expected in the in-house job versus the law firm have really narrowed. It shrunk. But I find a couple of things. One, in-house in the great, great, great majority of cases, you're not know, going to be keeping time in increments of six minutes and having to bill it. That's a huge relief. You're not going to have pressure to do client development, business development. You are going to work hard. These are not nine to five jobs. They're demanding jobs. That's what you want. You want to be challenged. You want interesting work. But I find that in-house lawyers have generally more control over their schedule for a couple of reasons. One, you know, if you're a a mid-level associate working on a big case in a law firm, you might have some deadlines imposed by the project, but there's also going to be artificial deadlines imposed by the more senior associate and the junior partner and the senior partner because it's going to go through these chains. You're not going to have as much overhead and things to deal with like that in-house. And you have more control generally over your schedule than I think you do at a law firm. And for things like litigation, most in-house counsel, hire and manage law firms you know for example you know sedexo we had tons of employees in 50 states we're not going to have employment lawyers and litigators in 50 states we're going to use outside counsel for litigation so managing that is a skill but you're not meeting the deadlines that the local litigator has to meet in court so it's a demanding job but i'd say in on average you have more control over your time you do in in a law firm. One of the things I was just thinking as as I was talking about that, I think one of the real advantages of being a JAG officer, at least from what I can tell, not having been one, is that at a junior, younger level, you get far more responsibility than you would at that same level at a law firm. And that's something you need to really point to in interviews and in your work. So I think that's true. I think a junior JAG officer is going to have a lot more experience and responsibility than a junior lawyer to law firm. So what I'm hearing is be not afraid. Yeah. I mean, you, you need to be confident. Yeah. Um, you're going into a different world. And so there's going to be a learning curve. But I think you really need to be confident that, one, you know how to be a lawyer. You've done it. You're good at it. In your are in. Your JAG career, you've probably had to learn a bunch of different areas of the law. You're going to do the same thing in-house. So there should be a confidence. There should be a confidence that you've had a lot of autonomy and and experience that you probably more than you would have had at a law firm. And I think you can talk about that. And you should have confidence that you've got the interpersonal skills, the ways to work with a, a committee or a supervisor. And Be effective and be a team player. All those things are really important.
0: Well, Bob, you've never been a jag. I've never been a corporate counsel, but there's to me, it sounds like there's a lot of similarities, and and it kind of reinforces my desire to go down that route. You know, we have in the DC area, for example, they're having the upcoming Veterans Career Legal Fair. It's put on by a bunch of sponsors, and it targets just military lawyers. And I just signed up for that, so I'm looking forward to it. I don't. I think I've reached the end of my questions. I don't know what I don't know to ask you. So if there's something that you wanted hit upon and I failed to do it, then I don't doubt that I missed it, but here's your chance.
1: Okay. I'm going to take you up on that. I've got two points, and these may be kind of minor, but I'm going to mention them anyway. One, and this is an interviewing tip that I I always give at the end of any interview, you as the interviewee are expected to ask the question. And I just wanna stress, it's really important that you demonstrate at some point in the interview, that you demonstrate how seriously you've taken the interview, that you've read a lot about that company, you're really invested in working for them. So you wanna ask at least one question you'd only ask of that particular company based on something you've read about them. You wanna demonstrate to them that you really are invested and interested in working for that company. The worst thing anyone could do in an interview with me would be to ask me questions that made me think, you had not spent two minutes Googling what my company does, and so you're not taking this seriously, I'm not taking you seriously. So that's just one thing I wanted to mention. The other thing is a little harder, but I wanna just plant the thought that different companies view their law department in different ways. Most companies now, particularly most large companies, have really respected law departments, that they want to get involved. There are some companies, particularly some smaller companies or ones that have not had much leadership change in 20 or 30 years, where the law department is not valued as much. And you don't wanna work in that environment. It's kind of the exception these days. It's not the rule like it was 30 years ago. There were a lot of companies where it was just not that pleasant. But you want to try to get a sense in your interview process about how does that company view the law department? Is it a valued partner or is it the place that you need to get things through? And the great majority of large companies now, it's a valued partner. You just want to make sure that that's where you are. You talk about getting a sense of it during the interview, and I'm
0: sure asking the, the interviewers that question at the end is one way. but. Is there any other telltale signs or things you look for? I you know, I, I was sharing with you before this that there's a company out there offering a, a compliance job and, and they list the pay right on there and that's becoming more and more common, I guess. But is pay another area you see that an indication or is that not necessarily tied to that view of the law department?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a really good question. It can be tied to it, but I think most departments of any size are going to go through a formal benchmarking process where, just like any other part of the company, they're benchmarking attorney salaries to other comparable company attorney salaries. So even that's not a a surefire way to tell uh, how, how the department's viewed, because a lot of that is going to be handled by kind of a central HR process that's going to have some uh external benchmarking and that's really what's going to drive the compensation but you can you can try to get a sense of that through informational interviews with people that you reach out to on linkedin you know you want to have a general counsel that reports to the ceo and is part of the executive team not a general counsel that is buried two or three layers down and is not part of the general uh, executive team of the company that's one indication and then the rest is is kind of harder to sense in your first interview, but if you have, you know, if you're going to be the successful candidate, chances are you're going to go through two, three, four, five rounds of interviews, and just a little bit of those questions each time can give you a, a, an overall sense. Bob, do you have any
0: recommendations? And I and I'm sorry, I'm continuing this after we've talked, but you <laughs> talked about go in house. Do you find have any favorites, for example, when people are researching compensation? Because My understanding is a lot of companies have pay bans. So it's not like you're going to go and you're going to make $500,000 and somebody comes in behind you or ahead of you for that same job and are not as savvy on the the pay. They're only going to get $300,000. But getting a sense of where that compensation lies for that particular company. And I know that one way is talking to people via LinkedIn that you find that may have been there that might give you a ballpark. But do you know of any resources that you think are pretty accurate?
1: Uh, I used to have a boss who said this, and now I'm, I'm going to repeat what he said. I'm now going to tell you more than I know. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is not an area that I'm an expert on, and I retired four years ago, so I'm probably so out- you don't care. <laughs> you don't care anymore. You're <laughs> <laughs> but I, a couple things. One, I, I know there are. I'm not familiar with them, but I know there are websites like Glassdoor. And the second thing, this is a more recent development, but I think New York State, for example, job postings are required to list the salary range. And I don't know if that may be the case in California, it's probably not more than two or three states, but you can kind of get a sense there. Most departments are going to do this external benchmarking, where one, you're going to get into a range that is comparable, that is market, Two, and this is a hard thing to manage as a general counsel, but you have to manage it. You're always going to be, as a managing lawyer, concerned that the compensation you bring somebody in at is not going to cause ripple effects to the rest of the team. And so that's just a reality. And it's something that every good manager has has to work with. That can mean sometimes that you have less flexibility to raise the base salary, but you might have more flexibility to offer a big upfront signing bonus to close the gap between what what you can offer and what the person wants.
0: Great stuff, Bob. And I just thought I just thought of a title for you because you've been so helpful to me. Now I I think you're the
1: conciliary from candle <laughs> for for corporate counsel jag wannabes. Tom, I love that because I've I worked for about five different CEOs my favorite CEO, that was what he called me, his consigliere. And that was about the best compliment you could give me. So <laughs>
0: Well, folks, you know, again, Bob did the intake for my candorful interview, which I have not done yet. I'm focused on this little bar exam, but he gave me the offer. We talked, we talked about post Navy career, and then we talked about the podcast. So you know this is a guy that's retired. He doesn't have to do this, but he is willing to mentor people or at least answer questions that you may have. And you can find him on LinkedIn, and you can also find him if you sign up for Candorful. So if you're nervous about interviewing, here's a chance to get a little practice in. I know it's tough to have people judge you, just like it's tough to first like start talking on recordings and start you know editing yourself but you got to get through it you got to do it i know i've put it off because i don't want to have to you know face my failures and things but this is a thing that you've got to do if you want to get to that next chapter so bob thanks again for your time i appreciate it and i will be seeing you some point
1: next month that's great and tom i just want to say thank you what you're doing is a really great service because the networking aspect of these job searches is so important. And you provide not only great advice and, and great success stories, but an opportunity for some of that networking. And that's really a terrific service. So thank you.
0: Well, that's an honor, Bob, and I love doing it. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the JAG Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.